The WBEN All Local. All Local. Produced by Randy Bushover. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazarowski. Outside right now, partly cloudy skies. Uh, looking pretty good for right now. 61 degrees in Buffalo. In a message shared on Twitter yesterday, Erie County Executive Mark Polencards said Erie County will soon receive an unknown number of migrants. How many and where they're staying, when they're arriving, all questions right now. County Legislator Jim Elchewski. The lack of transparency here is very concerning. Um, I think that most people in western New York knew that when the governor and the county executive uh, go on denying that there's any plan in place, I think everybody knew there was a plan in place. And the shame of this whole thing is this right here is a great example of what gives government a bad name. Polencar said he's been assured the costs associated with their housing, food, other supportive services will be paid for by either New York State or New York City. A big shakeup throughout the Diocese of Buffalo. WBEN's Brayton Wilson has more on the changes. Bishop Michael Fisher announced on Tuesday the assignments of 47 priests in the Diocese of Buffalo, signaling an increase in the momentum of the Road to Renewal program by grouping diocesan parishes into a collaborative model of two to six parishes per family. Father Brian Zelenaski, Vicar of Renewal and Development with the Catholic Diocese, says it's an effort to help bring parishes together and move the diocese forward. We're trying to respond to the signs of the times. Um, with changing numbers of priests that are available, with a changing amount of resources, number of people attending masses, we're adjusting to the future. And so that's what this renewal is all about. And Tuesday was just a big step forward as we were uh, making those assignments. But there have been months made before that, too. Father Zelenaski explains the upcoming changes are going to be more of a collaboration between neighboring parishes and that priests in the diocese were asked where they wanted to go, what they wanted to do, and they submitted choices on what they would like to see their future ministry be. For Father Paul Seil, he will be soon moving on from Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Buffalo's Old First Ward after being appointed to the UB North Newman Center in Getzville as part of the campus ministry vicariate family. He feels overall the differences with the upcoming changes for the Catholic Diocese will only become evident over time. I think some of the concerns might be there might not be the quickest accessibility to priests that they know or priests that they're familiar with. And that's a very key part of Christian communities. It was not too many years ago, maybe 10 20, that the movement was more towards what we call small faith-based communities, smaller groups of Catholics getting together to build community among the laity especially. But now we're going to a very different structure that I don't think anyone in the diocese has experienced it before, but now this is the reality with which we need to live, and so we will do our best. More from Tuesday's announcement from the Catholic Diocese is available for you online. Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right, big shakeup there happening in the diocese. Meanwhile, in Washington, negotiators on Capitol Hill back at it again today, trying to hammer out a debt ceiling deal as the country edges closer and closer to financial crisis. We could still finish this by June 1st. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy staying optimistic, but privately conceding to his Republican members that they are nowhere near a deal yet. The White House insisting talks have been productive, but won't point to specific progress. 
The stalemate is over federal spending. Republicans want to roll it back, and Democrats do not. Republicans also demanding that Biden impose new work requirements for those receiving federal aid. The president equally firm in pushing for tax increases on the wealthiest Americans and large companies. Lindsay Watts reporting from Washington. Here in New York State, a group of lawmakers are looking to change the consequences for getting a DWI. WBEN's Tom Puckett is here with what they're proposing. Under a new bill sponsored by Assemblymember Carrie Warner, first-time DWI offenders will need to have an ignition interlock installed in their vehicle that will require them to give a breathalyzer before they can start the car. Right now, Werner says they have the option of giving up the vehicle. We still have this sort of loophole that allows people to avoid the requirement for an ignition interlock device um, by just getting rid of their car. It doesn't really stop them from driving, um, but it is an alternative that, that many people pursue. Werner calls the bill a common-sense approach. John Sullivan of Erie County Stop DWI says the ignition interlock works. You simply can't. Uh, move the vehicle with any alcohol in your system or a very tiny amount of alcohol in your system. So it's 100% effective in preventing an intoxicated person from, from moving the vehicle. Sullivan says the bill is trying to address those who give up their vehicle to access another vehicle to drive, which is illegal. Hear more online. Tom Puckett, WPEN.com News. All right, Tom, thank you. Interesting idea there. The Michigan Avenue lift bridge will be closed again for repairs, this time for the next three to four months. The bridge previously closed for much of the summer in 2020 for repairs to its cabling system. It means people will have to access Ganson Street and businesses like Riverworks all the way through the Ohio Street lift bridge. Bill Casale is Riverworks manager. He spoke with WBEN about what this means for him. The problem is we do a lot of events over the river back and forth where people can walk over. We have a small parking lot that fills up quick. So when we do large events like Music is Art where there's 50,000 people, it's paramount that people are able to walk over that bridge, get to our facility, go back and forth. That's the only way we can accommodate that many people on that island. So with less than three days' notice, we've had no time to prepare. We've had no options. Three days' notice, he says. Businesses were given that this would be closed for months. City of Buffalo engineer Nolan Skipper said to join us with more on this project later this morning. New Ford and Lincolns will have AM radio after all. As more new vehicles come off the production line without AM radio capability, Ford CEO Jim Farley posted a statement on social media announcing Ford will continue to offer AM broadcast radio in 2024 Ford and Lincoln vehicles. Farley saying after speaking with policy leaders about the importance of AM broadcast radio as part of the emergency alert system, we've decided to include it. He added, for any owners of Ford EVs without AM broadcast capability, we'll offer a software update. Several car manufacturers have noted a electric motor interference with AM radio reception. Derek Dennis, ABC News. Hmm. All right, uh, interesting, but Ford saying we're keeping it. A nonprofit consumer watchdog group out with its latest food safety report analyzing government data on food recalls. The group wants to offer some tips to stay healthy and avoid foodborne illnesses like salmonella, E. coli, listeria. Researcher Teresa Murray says always practice good hygiene during preparation. Keep things refrigerated that are supposed to be refrigerated, especially like, for example, a cantaloupe. Once you've sliced it, um, it needs to be treated differently. She says avoid putting things out uncovered for more than two hours. Certain foods are more susceptible to bacteria growth than others. Um, how good are you? On that I've, I'm sure rule. I've broken that rule. 
I know I have too. Yeah. <laughs> quite quite a bit. I'll erase my hand. Uncovered for Not two hours. Not all the time, but I, I've done it. I've definitely gone back and uh, grabbed a burger off the tray that might have been sitting there for a while, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and how about this? In the NHL last night, former Sabre, William Carrier, scored one of three first period goals for the Vegas Golden Knights, who went on to beat the Stars four to nothing. Colisar and Carrier. Now Bluger feeds Carrier. He scores! A backhander inside the right post. William Carrier's first goal of the postseason. Three goals on four shots. Carrier, a backhander. Wow. 3-0 up in the series. Just a game away from the Stanley Cup final for Vegas. It's like they just surrendered. (laughs) It was was bad. Bad for Dallas. They're, uh, They're toast. So is Carolina. Yeah. It's going to be Eichel versus Reinhardt for the Stanley Cup. I wonder if they'll they ride to... to the arena on their tandem bicycle together. Oh, I saw a video of that yesterday. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> it drove me crazy. I, uh, yeah, I'm uh, blocking it from my mind just for now. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast. Temperatures in the 60s this morning. It'll be much cooler this afternoon. Temperatures drop to the 50s with some rain showers early this afternoon. Tonight, mainly clear and chilly. Lows in the 30s. Sunny near 60 on Thursday. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us right now on the line with a look at the political field from the University of Buffalo, Sean Donahue. We're talking about the uh, GOP field for the 2024 race for the White House first. Uh, Sean, we're expecting a big announcement today. I- I'm wondering the media landscape in this, uh, even as Tim Scott you know, made his announcement earlier this week. Everyone was talking about, you know, hey, Tim Scott announced, but Ron DeSantis in a couple of days. It's DeSantis and Trump and then seemingly everybody else. When you see that throughout history, there's two front runners and then a whole field. How does that typically work out? Well, I mean, I think we have to um, maybe um, uh, parry that just a little bit in that, uh, you know, DeSantis maybe. I think that some people maybe in January or February um, thought that he had a lot of uh, promise and hope. But, um, you know, what we've seen is that uh, particularly since uh, Trump's indictment in Manhattan is that the gap between Trump and DeSantis has just gotten bigger and bigger. And DeSantis has really uh, has really floundered uh, in in national polls. Um, you know, we've seen that he has been when he's been on the campaign trail, he seems really awkward, um, not really a people person. He's had some uh, um, comments about uh, the war in Ukraine that seems very pro-Russian, that uh, that he has just uh, really floundered in the polls and Trump has uh, really surged. Well, DeSantis is launching his campaign in a very different way tonight on Twitter with Elon Musk, really not with crowds of people. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, it it is kind of interesting because in addition to Elon Musk, he's also appearing with uh, somebody that's going to be moderating that that is uh, quite notorious on Twitter for uh, being really pro-Russian in the uh, Ukraine war. Um, But, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you're thinking, well, you know, who is he trying to reach? with uh with this uh with this announcement here as well 
Well, when you talk about DeSantis falling behind in the polls, why do you think that is? He had all this momentum. Was that strictly COVID-driven? And the further we get away from, uh, you know, people's recollection of the lockdown, right? Hard to believe it was just three years ago. It seems like much longer than that, that when that gets further and further back in the memory, his uh, appeal is less and less. Well, I think some of it was that, uh, you know, in, back in November, you know, he was reelected uh, governor by about 19 points. You know, granted that the Florida Democratic Party is not very much, and he had a uh, relatively weak opponent, Charlie Chris. Um, but I think a lot of people saw that, uh, you know, okay, you know, not a great Republican year uh, nationally, but it was a very much a red wave in Florida that I think uh, some people were looking at and thinking that uh, um, maybe maybe this is the guy that uh, could uh, lead us back to control the White House. Mike Pence may still get in. So might Chris Christie. Who benefits from a crowded field? I mean, I think it, absolutely Donald Trump. You know, I was uh, I was uh, taking a look at the uh, real quick, real clear politics average um, as far as the national Republican field. And I think we have to remember that there's the national polls and then there's the first uh, first early contests in Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina that might be a little bit different. Uh, but I mean, the one thing is, is that Donald Trump uh, is not only dominating the field, he's well over 50 percent uh, in the national in the national polls. But, you know, even if you were to think that, uh, you know, prior polls where he was below 50 percent, um, you know, there's kind of Trump and everybody else. Um, kind of the challenge for the everybody else is to kind of uh, consolidate that into uh, uh, one candidacy. So one of the things that we've seen is, is that outside of Ron DeSantis, who Trump has a tremendous amount of personal contempt for, I think we can tell, because Trump thinks that he made DeSantis. I mean, and, you know, if you look back to the 2018 primary in Florida for governor, I mean, I think Trump has a point there. I mean, DeSantis was not doing so well. Um, DeSantis runs an ad basically having his kids on there saying, build the wall, reading Trump's book. Trump endorses him. And, uh, you know, he wins the primary by by a big margin. When you look at, you know, kind of how DeSantis has positioned himself, he wants to be seen as, you know, a Trump-like figure who can also attract independent voters and, you know, people kind of in the middle who he says Trump has basically abandoned and you can't win without those people in the middle. I'm wondering if that's still true or... Has the war with Disney and, you know, how uh, outspoken he's been, and as you mentioned, not exactly a people person, has that worn away at that edge that he might have had? Well, I mean, I think that one of the things we have to keep in mind is that, um, you know, if if you're saying you want to be kind of the Trump-like candidate, um, if you're in a race with Trump, you have Trump. Um, you know, you have the real deal. Um, you have the real thing. I mean, why would you choose somebody that's uh, not Trump? And, uh, of course, the other thing that, uh, um, you know, I think that uh, some on the uh, that are observing the race that are they're looking at DeSantis is that, uh, you know, in addition to the Disney thing, you know, he pursued a very, very, very hard right uh, agenda 
in the Florida legislative session, including, you know, a ban on abortion at six weeks. I think that we know for the midterm elections that uh, pursuing um, policies like that um, on abortion have proven not to be very popular uh, with uh, with moderate voters. Sean, are you aware of a, a bipartisan political group called No Labels with the goal of nominating a third party unity ticket, including someone like uh, Joe Manchin? Yes. And, and what would this do to the race? Well, I mean, I think that's an interesting, uh, interesting question, because, uh, you know, you would have to think that that probably draws away from the Democrat, um, presumably probably would be Joe Biden. Um, you know, if they kind of have um, an anti-Trump message, but not exactly maybe a pro-Biden message, um, you know, because uh, usually with third party candidates, um, they tend to draw more from one side or the other. You know, occasionally you have somebody that uh, maybe draws a little bit from from both, maybe like a Ross Perot in 1992. But, you know, I think that we've seen in the past that some that some candidacies um, say like a Ralph Nader in 2000, um, you know, tends to hurt one candidate more than the other. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning, produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.